Hello, educators. You're tuned in to season four of Classroom Conversations, the platform for Georgia's teachers. I'm Ashley Mingwasser, the host of this wonderful platform, a place for teachers to share and learn. Educators from across the state congregate around these mics at GPB Studios in Atlanta to bring you always insightful, ease-filled conversations that elevate your classroom instruction. Classroom Conversations is brought to you by the Georgia Department of Education in tandem with production partner Georgia Public Broadcasting. Are your limbs loose and warmed up? Today's episode centers on reaching our English learners, or ELs. Pardon my reach, but I'd like to extend an offer. If you haven't yet, go and listen to episode 110, which includes ESOL instructional strategies, and episode 210 about dual language immersion. In all of these episodes, we touch on a key question. How can educators address the differing needs of English learners in the classroom? Why? We e-solve it, of course, with specially designed teaching tools and dynamic teacher tips from a couple of ESOL experts. And here they are. My guests today have both taught in Costa Rica and have women immigrants to the U.S. in their family trees. Moreover, they have a natural gift and real heart for understanding our English learners. Jessica McLaughlin teaches fifth grade at Montclair Elementary School in DeKalb County. Jessica is the 2023 ESOL Teacher of the Year for DeKalb County Schools, being named Exemplary ESOL Teacher. Lauren Fogarty teaches mostly ninth grade lit and composition at Riverwood International Charter School, which is in Fulton County. Lauren's the ESOL Department Chair and Riverwood's Teacher of the Year last year. And combined, these two have nearly 30 years, that's three decades, in the classroom. Welcome to the show, Jessica and Lauren. Thank you. Thanks for having us. How are you? <laughs> Great. How are you? Wonderful. How are you? Fantastic. How would you greet your class? What would you say? Would it be Spanish or English or a mixture? Probably English. Yeah, <laughs> I'd greet my class in yeah. English. In English? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I like that. You never know with all of your background. I just had to ask. Mm. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? What led you into teaching? You'll get us started, Jessica. Sure. Um, so I actually never wanted to be a teacher. I'll be completely honest. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your transparency. <laughs> yeah, I never wanted to be a teacher. I actually wanted to be an architect. <laughs> but in college, my mom, who has been teaching almost 30 years, actually started teaching ESOL. And I've always been interested in multicultural um, things, whether that's, you know, reading or, you know, having friends from different cultures or whatever. Um, and so when she became an ESOL teacher and I actually volunteered at her school and saw what she did every day with these students and just how amazing they were and their, the stories they had, I was like, wow, she's actually making a difference every day in these students' lives. And I just thought it was amazing and just really changed my trajectory. And here you are. Yeah. You saw that light. Yeah. Lauren, what's your story? Um, so when I was in college, I was an English lit major <clears throat> and I really had no idea what I wanted to do. And um, I somehow, I honestly can't remember how, I got involved with a volunteer program through my university, um, teaching English to a family that had recently immigrated to the United States. And um, I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I'm enjoying this. And then when I graduated, I moved to Costa Rica for a year to decide to do the same thing, to teach English and kind of get a sense of, is this something I could see myself doing long term? And I, I loved it, and I came back and got my certificate and my master's, and um, 
the rest is history. You did it for real. I did. You did I it did for it for real. real. <laughs> and now you're in the classroom. But to be clear, you guys are your teachers and your hobbyists. Tell our audience <laughs> about yourselves, Lauren. You speak so many languages. Uh, no, I would not say that. <laughs> Feels like it to this English-only speaker. Um, I do speak Spanish and a little bit of French. The French has been very slow going. I've been trying to teach myself. You're working on that. Um, yeah, in English, obviously. <laughs> but you have some other interesting pastimes. Yes, um, I'm an avid runner and I do triathlons and I also dance, mostly ballet now, but over the course of my life, I've studied many genres of dance. That is fascinating. So you're really into moving the bod. I am. I am. Yes. (laughs) That is really healthy. And Jessica, what about you? So like I mentioned, I did want to be an architect. And so I've always enjoyed real estate and architecture. So I actually am a realtor and real estate investor on the side. And I just bought a quadruplex that I rent out. Um, So I plan on doing that. Is there a relatable or driving quote that each of you can think of that really conveys what it's like to be a teacher of English language learners? Mine would just be that it takes a village to raise a child. Um, That's just a go-to for me because it's you can't just do it alone, you know. And I think it's very important, especially for ELs or English learners, to know that they have a community around them that supports them. Beautiful. What about for you, Lauren? Um, And I would say for me, I've seen this as a proverb from many cultures. So clearly it's a universal idea. Um, But just that to know another language is to have like a new, another soul or another life. Yes. I think I've quoted that on this podcast before. Is that Charlemagne? Um, It has been attributed to Charlemagne. And I've also seen it pop up in, like I said, proverbs from all over the world. Yeah, that one's been around for a while. And I'm sure that is the the experience because even learning another language, you feel like a different person. You know, you're kind of stepping into a different identity. And that's that's part of the magic of it, I think. What do you think you receive? We know how much you pour into your ELs. What do you think you get back from this? Love. Every single day. Lots of it. That's a pretty great transaction. If yeah. You ask me. Yeah, definitely love. I would also say um, like a new appreciation for for English as well. Like it wow. not only gives me an appreciation for my kids and the cultures that they come from, but it you look at your own culture and your own language in a slightly different way, too. And I, I find myself learning things about English. that I'm like, oh, I never would have you know, thought of that if I had not been teaching as well. That's an unexpected discovery. More appreciation for what we do know. (laughs) You both have traveled so much. I know you probably collect memorabilia on your trips. So I've asked you to participate with me in a little segment that I'm calling Scavengers. (laughs) I've asked you to each uh, bring three items from your classroom work or think of three things that you'd like to share. And so I'll start with you, Jessica. Can you share with us something that reminds you of the value of teaching English learners? Oh, yes. So I brought a couple of different things. So this is a, um, a glass jar in a heart shape with tiny little paper mache stars that I a student that. made. I have no idea how many are in here or how long it took her. <laughs> but when I was teaching ESOL in high school, actually, um, in Macon, she made this for me uh, just to show her appreciation. Oh, my gosh. Oh, is so is the sweet. message that you're a star and I love you? I mean, there's a whole <laughs> lot of shapes in there. <laughs> yeah, they're all little tiny stars. I'm not sure. She just wanted to give it to me and was like, so nonchalant about it. When she came to me, I was like, what? These are I, little tiny I paper mache. I paper these 400 stars. Uh, yeah. Thank you for all you do. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't, yeah, but she was amazing. And then I just have little notes from other students more recently from elementary school. 
um, you know, like, you're the best teacher. Thank you for pre- preparing me for the sixth grade and for being a good teacher. Lauren, right. what, what can you think of that reminds you of the value of teaching ELs? Um, so a lot of my notes are actually packed away in my classroom, but I know I have one that I've saved over the years. And um, a student that I taught, um, you know, thanked me for teaching her. And she said, I learned so many things in your class, even English, which I thought was really funny. And I choose, I choose to interpret that as the life lessons she learned in my yeah. classroom were so valuable that the English was just the added just a bonus. part of it. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. That, I, that's Cute. really funny. And plus, yeah. plus, students are hysterical. Um, okay. Here's the next one. I'll let you start with this one, Lauren. Um, share something that reminds you of the struggle of teaching English learners. Um, so what I actually was thinking of my cell phone nice. um, when you asked me that, um, mainly because I think it's a struggle not just with English learners, but with students in general. Um, it's trying to find a way to to reach them and be more interesting than whatever they can find Get on, on their TikTok devices. or YouTube. <laughs> and I also feel like in some regards it becomes um, something that they lean on too much to to translate or to look up information rather than relying on the language that they do have. Yes. You make a really good point. What what about for you, Jessica? The struggle. Um, yeah, the struggle. I know. Struggle is real, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would think of or it makes me think of like conversations with teachers, some teachers who aren't just, they just don't understand the opportunity that they need to give the students to show what they know. Yes, that's a really good point. And then our last one in Scavengers, something that you're each looking forward to doing with your English learners this school year. More growth, like I mentioned, reading especially. (laughs) I'm super excited about the growth. Um, I've made a lot of really good progress the past couple years, and I'm just excited to see more. (laughs) I did a language exchange with um, one of our Spanish teachers at my school. And it went really well, better than I was expecting, <laughs> to be honest. Cool. And I, I want to try to do more of that in the coming year. How did that work? Um, it was almost like speed dating. So we... <gasps> Who um, doesn't love that? <laughs> right. So <laughs> we provided them with some questions, and then we had them write some of their own questions that they were going to ask the students in this other class, right? And so my students would be asking questions in English, and their students... Them being native English speakers would answer in English. So they do that for two minutes and then we'd swap languages. So then they'd have basically the same conversation again in Spanish. Um, and then they would move, move partners. That sounds fun. After four minutes, like you wouldn't speed dating. And right. I was mm-hmm. I was really nervous. I was like, this could be great. Mm-hmm. This could be a disaster, <laughs> a big hot mess. Um, but it went really, really well. And I would like to do that some more in the coming year. Now, we have a lot of acronyms in this discipline. Would you two agree? We have ESOL referring to teachers. We have English language learners, ELLs. We have ELs. Can somebody illuminate the the differences here for us? Yeah, so ESOL is English to Speakers of Other Languages, which is talking about the program that the students are in. And so you can be an ESOL teacher or you can be in the ESOL program as a student. I gotcha. But ELs, which is what we commonly refer to as the ESOL students, are just English learners. Nice. And ELL is just you want to throw the word language in there, English language learners. Yeah, I think nowadays they prefer ELs because <laughs> right. That's just redundant could, now. <laughs> yeah, well, and they could have more than one language. You know, they used to have ESL, English as a second language, so they could uh-huh. just kind of, you know, it's all English learners. They're all learning English, so they just made it simple and said English learners. (laughs) 
Oh, good. I can't wait to hear about your amazing ideas for working with ELs. I know we're going to get into it by looking deeper into your classrooms. Teachers have a lot to accomplish. And as you know, English learners, you know, they're not all the same. They come into your classrooms with different instructional backgrounds, different proficiency levels and academic English. So for the classroom teacher listening, the non-ESOL teacher, how can you be supported and trained to differentiate instruction to meet all of those varying needs? Any thoughts on that? Uh, yes, I'll go first. A few okay. <laughs> yeah, so actually for me, I think it's really important for the teacher to understand the perspective of the EL and where they're coming from, English learner. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I think they need to understand how extremely difficult it is to learn a language and not only learn a language, but learn content in that language that right. they do not know. Yes, you're learning two <laughs> things at the same time. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And this is all brand new to them. Like, you know, moving to a new country is already huge in itself, Yeah, <laughs> much less not knowing the language and going to a new school with nobody you know. And a lot of times, you know, these families are broken apart. They may not have both parents. I know a lot of students at my school don't. Um, and they just don't have that extra support that you would think of. All students have this, you know, or whatever. Um, so I think it's, for me, no matter what kind of student you're teaching, the most important part of being a great, you know, phenomenal, like the best teacher is just having a caring and positive relationship with your students. And that's huge, no matter what you do. I mean, we'll give you lots of instructional strategies, I'm sure today, but that is number one, the priority. Foundational. Yes. I think that makes perfect sense. Lauren, what would you say, especially in terms of the the training up piece in order to differentiate instruction? Um, yeah, so I can't emphasize enough how much building relationships is key. Right. Um, but if we're getting into more of the, um, like the nitty gritty of the teaching, um, helping the content teachers understand what the WIDA can do descriptors mean. And so WIDA is like the governing body of um, how we measure English proficiency. Um, and just understanding, you know, if my student is at X level in reading and Y level in speaking, you know, what is the student capable of doing and what should I be focusing on with them, you know, in small groups or in um, terms of writing expectations, that kind of thing. Because I don't think that the content teachers always necessarily understand mm -hmm. what their access scores mean the way that right. these all teachers do. Right. Okay. That's something I had thought about as well. Definitely sharing those access scores with them and explaining to them what it means is huge, you know. Um, and then just assuring them that the ESOL teacher will be, the ESOL, English Speakers of Other Languages teacher, will be helping the classroom teacher, you know, assuring them that you will be supporting them, the teacher, as well as the students. That's good. It's a team dynamic. Yeah. And you're provided a wealth of information from those WIDA access scores, which we will get into later <laughs> in this podcast. Because I know primarily you're wanting to ensure that your ELs develop listening, speaking, reading, and writing skills. So how do you think teachers can incorporate multiple modalities to develop students' interpretive and expressive language. This is so simple to me, um, or I figured out <laughs> that it's so simple, I should say. <laughs> but um, in everyday lessons, the teacher just needs to make sure that those students have an opportunity 
to um, do those four different modalities. So listening to content in different ways, reading content and writing about content and speaking about content. If they do those four things every single day, there's going to be significant, significant growth. That's the checklist. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You have to give that opportunity to them to do those four things, those four modalities that you mentioned every single day. And if they do that in all of their lessons, you're going to have major growth. Okay. And how do you attack that? Agreed. Um, I would say to be really deliberate about, um, like in reading, how to approach reading the type of text in a given subject area. Like, yeah. so if we're in math, you know, a math textbook looks very different than a Shakespeare play. Um, so thinking about, you know, how to how to read the different types of texts. Um, and I would say in writing, I think a lot of teachers who are not language arts teachers seem to be very afraid to teach writing. Right. And mm -hmm. I would, my advice is like, don't be afraid. Just get them <laughs> writing. I mean, it just any kind of writing practice mm -hmm. and getting them more comfortable taking risks and expressing themselves. You know, you don't have to grade everything for, mm -hmm. you know, a million different points of grammar and this, that, and the other. You know, what are the key pieces? You know, if it's social studies, is it a thesis statement? If it's, you know, science, is it a topic sentence? Um, and just the more opportunities for practice, even if it's not necessarily structured or formal. Right. Like they know how to write way. a caption or they know how <laughs> right. to write certain things right. for certain platforms. So maybe even that's an access point into Absolutely. your instruction. That's really cool. Okay. What types of activities would you say engage students the most in, in terms of purposefully using academic English? And you want them to... We know this from Department of Education. We want to we want to narrate. We want to inform, explain, and argue. So, how are you getting them to do that? What are the activities that are the vehicle for this? Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Lauren. Um, I would say I really am big on providing sentence stems and sentence frames with some of that key academic vocabulary built into there. So, um, I guess for those who might not know, a sentence frame frame or stem might be the start of a sentence that they will then complete. Um, you know, if the students are engaging in a conversation or a debate, kind of ideas to get them started um, so that some of that academic language is embedded and they have something, I guess, to build upon. Yeah. If that makes sense. That sounds like a good activity. Mm -hmm. um, you're giving them a little bit of a starting point and then they right. can pitch in with what they know. What exactly. do you use, Jessica? Yeah, no, uh, just piggybacking off of that. Um, so the four narrate, um, inform, explain and argue are definitely all good opportunities for teachers to use. Um, but I think having, like she said, opportunities to do that, whether it's, you know, formal or informal, it doesn't matter, but just giving them, you know, that practice um, in every lesson is super important. So if they are doing a strategy where they're explaining, like for me, I often use leveled reader books in small groups. And so if we are, you know, they listen to me read, so they're listening, you know, for one, and then they're going to read it. They're going to try at least practice reading it. <laughs> Allowed, yes. <laughs> and then, you know, they can, we can use different, different modalities to talk about the content, but also those four, like if they're going to narrate it, you know, connecting it to their own life experience, maybe they'll label, what happened in the story and they'll they'll so labeling is just like if you're drawing a picture of a boy and a girl you know walking down the street you have to write boy girl uh, street or whatever it is that they all the components exactly all the pieces. because they don't know the words even though these are smart kids and you know sometimes they're not native in in their own language which is 
more difficult, but sometimes they are really bright yes. kids and, and they know a lot, but they just can't express it. So using these different strategies um, for like those four things, narrate, inform, informing is just summarizing, you know, practicing, speaking about it, writing about it, like I mentioned last right. time, but within those four um, those four uh, ideas of academic English is super important. Yeah. Do you have a favorite EL instructional strategy that you like? I, for me, particularly love like slow, simple, concise verbal instructions. And I like most that. most teachers do not ever think about that when they're teaching, but that is huge for ELs because that gives them time to comprehend what you're saying. And it takes away all the fluff, all the extra stuff that you would normally say to kids, right? Even if you're just like babysitting or you're taking care of some kids, right? You say all this stuff. Oh, that's true. But it's not necessary. No. It's not needed. It's and extraneous <laughs> in a lot of ways. Exactly. You're just giving them the point. <laughs> yeah. So if you take away all of that, the ELs can really, the English learners can really focus on what it is, exactly what it is you want them to know and what you're trying to teach them. Um, so that's definitely by far my favorite, but also giving pause time is huge, giving them, so pause time is just when you wait a few seconds um, to give them time to comprehend and understand and allow them to formulate a response. Um, because a lot of times if you're not used to working with EOS, you just keep going and going and talking and right. talking. You don't give them that time to think about it or respond. And of course, visual aids like graphic organizers and anchor charts are huge. Um, and you can see me talking my hands. Yes. Nonverbal non cues. Gesticulation. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because it actually helps if you don't know the language. If, you know, I point over here and I say TV, they're going to know I'm talking ah, about a TV. You exactly. Know? They, they start picking up words because if they don't know any vocabulary, um, you know, obviously at first they're going to be very low. But the more vocabulary they start to grasp, the more ideas they're going to understand. Right. I think we forget in our practice of using English how very demonstrative we are in our use of English. And that can help. That can help these students. I love the speed dating, Lauren. I bet you have some other <laughs> clever strategies. Yeah. So I am also a big fan of visuals. I always have open on my board like an images tab where we'll start talking about something. And the kids are like, what's this? And I'm gonna be like, all right, I'm going to pull it up and show you a picture. That's cool. Which is um right. Super helpful. You know, gotta love the internet for that. <laughs> gotta love the internet for lots of um, things. <laughs> I'm also a really big fan of the Fryer model um, for vocabulary because I think vocabulary is really the foundation um, of language. And so um, it's where to to represent a word, you, you know, you have a working definition of a, the word. In my mind, it's not necessarily the dictionary definition. It's a mm -hmm. definition that the student understands. Um, an example of the word in a sentence, a picture of the word. Mm -hmm. And then um, I forget what the fourth like traditional Freire model is, but I usually allow my kids either um, they can find an example of the word or if it's helpful to them to write the word in their own language. Oh, nice. Um, so they can make that association. Yeah. Right. Or, yeah, right. Picture. And so I like to give a choice because sometimes, you know, the student may not know what that word is in their language either. You know, mm -hmm. like if it's a vocabulary word for the general ed ninth grader, you know, it's that right. student probably doesn't know what it is in their language as well. <laughs> so I give them the option if they look I and mean, I'm like, hey, if you look this up and you're like, I don't know what that word, Spanish word means, then, you know, let's look for another example that means something to you. We use that too. the four corners. That's a yeah. good point. Even uh, non-academic language, like you said, will be helpful. Don't please classroom teachers, if you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> if you can hear me, anyone out there. <laughs> 
<laughs> like you have to meet them where they're at. You have to meet them at their level. Please don't try to get them to understand the concept of something at grade level if they don't know basic English. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very well said, Jessica. Thank you. Uh, just a quick take to this next one. I know we're talking about models and modeling and visual aids and all this stuff. Speaking of which, tell us about the new Georgia Student Growth Model for English Language Proficiency. And if you've used it, how, or if you haven't, how you might plan to use it. So I look forward to using it. Um, and I plan on using it um, to help me with planning for instruction, like identifying levels, supporting needs, giving me a complete picture of the student's growth, uh, where they're at now and what their future growth would look like. So it sounds really cool. Um, and I can make those plans more personalized depending on if they're a low growth student versus a high growth student. Low growth students might need more strategies and high growth students will need more opportunities for enrichment. So the Georgia student growth model is very new, it yes. sounds like. It You're, is, yeah. yeah. What is your reaction to it? I'm really excited about it. Um, I think it's a great tool for all of the ESOL teachers at my school to really sit down and look at, you know, who do we have and in what areas are they making growth and in what areas are they not? And just to plan more targeted, more deliberate instruction. Um, and I would love to have a chance to share it with um, the not the content teachers who are not necessarily ESOL teachers, but just to give them a more holistic picture of who's in their classroom. Yes. You have shared such creative and clever ways to approach the instruction. Now let's get to the assessment piece of this. So to assess academic English proficiency, you mentioned we have WIDA's access test. And that's something that K-12 English language learners take every year in mm -hmm. the spring. And we sometimes see that language growth can stall during the middle grades. So how might teachers encourage their middle schoolers to get involved in understanding their WIDA access results so that they can move toward that proficiency as they're approaching high school? Yeah, um, I think in middle school, students feel very overwhelmed. <laughs> and you probably have more experience on this than I do for middle school, but because I know you taught there, but um, for eight years, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> but I do think that um, it's very different than elementary school. And, it, you know, every elementary, middle and high school, I've taught all three, they're all very different. But middle school, it's just like, it can be very overwhelming. There's a lot of personal changes in their life, yes. you know, physical changes, oh, yeah. instructional oh, changes. <laughs> so I think it's... Uh, Going back to what I said earlier, it's super important to have those positive relationships where you can talk to them and they trust you yes. with advice and what you tell them. Um, but bringing those access scores in and actually explaining to them what each means, you know, for listening, speaking, reading, writing, what their growths are, what their strengths are, you know, um, showing them how that can relate to their future career paths, maybe, oh, or whatever their plans nice are, to get them excited about it, get them thinking about the future because they are growing and they will be in high school soon. Um, and actually giving them that encouragement so that they can be more confident and maybe if, you know, they have strengths, they can show that in the classroom, whatever yes. that strength may be, having them help out and show, you know, practice that more and show other students how to do something if they're really great at math or, you know, drawing something for the classroom, if they're a great artist, whatever it is. It grounds that assessment result. Yeah. So, and just, mm -hmm. yeah, it kind of just uh, cements it in their mind like, oh, I am good at this, you know, and right. that, that's huge for them to have that confidence. So there's taking this test in the spring and yes. then at the start of the next school year would be our opportunity right. to really like cast vision. Exactly. So how are you doing that with your students, Lauren? Um, I would say individual conferencing, yeah. just kind of sitting down with them and explaining what their scores mean and um, setting like a personalized goal that they have a part 
in. You know, actually really asking them to set a goal for themselves versus Ah. like, I want you to do this. This here's your goal. Right. Like, (laughs) you know, tell me like what do you think is realistic for you? And what would you, you know, what area of the language domains do you feel like you could make the biggest improvement or what do you really want to work on? And what do you feel strong in? So again, it's all just about having those personal conversations and relationships with the students. Yeah. And they'll they'll find those memorable. For sure. Let's look at some resources. Uh, There are many. You guys are going to have to explain what some of these are to me (laughs) and maybe to our classroom teachers listening. How do you plan to use the WIDA English Language Development Framework, this is the 2020 edition, to plan content-driven language lessons for your English learners? And this framework is the new WIDA standards. Is that right? Okay. Are you using it or are you planning to use it? Where are you with the WIDA English Language Development Framework? We are we are using it. Yes. Um, and we, the ESOL team at my school, delivered a, a training on it to our teachers this fall. Um, so we're definitely using it in the ESOL department. I'd like to see it elsewhere. I guess adopted more widely yeah. throughout our school, which is, you know, it takes time to understand. Um, but I really think that it helps to focus uh, instruction and help teachers be really deliberate about what specific language skills are needed for this task or for this unit or um, on a particular assignment. So I think it can help the content teachers feel a little more, I guess, more empowered and less overwhelmed by trying to reach the ELs that are in their classrooms. So I really look forward to using it with teachers outside of the ESOL department. Okay. I think that's really good. What about you, Jessica? Yeah. um, So I use the WIDA framework to um, keep, so I have like a summary chart and I I give it to the classroom teachers as well with their uh, WIDA scores. So the access scores that we talked about earlier. But what's new for this edition is the the KLUs uh, that we talked about earlier, the narrate, inform, explain, um, argue. And so that's going to be super helpful for um, the teachers to be aware of the individual needs, like Lauren was just saying, to plan activities using those four things yes. based on their strengths and growth. And I also love your reactions to the new Georgia DOE Inspire and Georgia DOE Suitcase, which are language and content standards. How might you use these to support your lesson and unit planning with your ELs? Yeah, so these two tools are also new. Georgia DOE Inspire is a digital resource um, showing curriculum maps that include resources like lesson plans and activities that can be personalized and printed. Oh, that's useful. That is very useful. (laughs) Um, And the suitcase is another digital resource um, showing the standards like uh, it's in a new spot now and it has links to the WIDA standards that go with those specific standards. So if you're teaching like English language arts in high school, you can uh, science or math or whatever the subject is, you can go and see which standards, WIDA standards for the ELs connect or relate to those to prepare standards. them for that WIDA assessment. For that lesson that you're doing. Ah, very yeah. smart. Yeah, I really think it's going to be, both of them are going to be great for cross-curricular planning because mm-hmm. it's set up in such a streamlined way that you can see how the WIDA standards correlate to all these different content area standards. So I think it's going to really um, facilitate planning between and teachers across different content areas, um, which I think is huge. I think that'll 
do a lot for RELs. Right. So much of an online digital resource is about the usability of it, as mm -hmm. we know from the internet and everything else. <laughs> so that, that all sounds very promising. And in addition to these great resources, you, you need the support of some other people, namely parents, <laughs> who undergird success, especially when you're working with ELs, I'm sure. So what do you believe schools can do to build families' capacity to help just help their children learn English and content simultaneously. How, how involved should these parents be, Lauren? Um, I would say, again, it comes back to building relationships. Um, if we can build relationships with the parents, honestly, I think the best thing that a parent can do is just is send the message at home that education is important. Yes. You know, I understand that parents are, you know, working, especially a lot of parents of ELs don't work necessarily standard hours. A lot of times they're leaving for jobs as their student is coming home from school. Another important consideration. Right. Oh, yeah. And that they, you know, if they don't speak English themselves, you know, they're not necessarily going to be able to sit down and help their student with his or her homework. But just right. if they can send the message that education has value and also, um, that you can really learn in any kind of a situation. And if they can start having conversations with their students about what they're learning at school, what are they learning, mm -hmm. you know, at their job, if they go to work when they get out of school, um, just talking about what the students are learning, I think is huge. That totally aligns with the mission in the classroom to have that parent support. Yeah. What do you think parents can do and families can do to support the capacity for English language learning? Well, I definitely agree with what Lauren just said. If parents have the capability, you know, and availability to come in and volunteer at a school with their child, that's awesome. You know, that really shows that they know learning is important and the kids yep. will learn that Get from the seeing message. their parents. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but teachers and schools just need to show that they care about parents as well as the students by providing a welcoming environment with resources and, and you know, showing the parents and telling the parents what those resources are. Um, there are many different online resources for students to use, especially for EOs that are very helpful, but any student can use them. Um, like Imagine Learning, La Lilo, Reading A to Z, Brain Pop, Epic, iStation, iReady. Um, but not only those online resources, schools also need to uh, provide information on like the local library and how to get a library card. Which I just did that this weekend. We, yeah. Actually, yes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we had a, um, a meeting with our parents uh, recently at our school about this exact thing. And actually the Shambly Library here in Atlanta next to our school um, has like bilingual services and English classes that, you know, the community needs to know about. And the parents had no idea. And, you know, they don't even know how to get a library card what significance that is, you know, opens a whole new world to these students. Right. Um, but things like that, you know, uh, community English classes, parent meetings with handouts, available financial assistance for these families, because a lot of them don't have internet. And if ah. you don't have internet, you can't use these free online resources that Excellent are so point. awesome. Um, but interpreta interpretation and translation services and milestones, resources like study guides, which are, you can also find online, but you can also print them out and give them to students. You two are a wealth of information. Thank you so much for being here today. We really <laughs> appreciate it. Anything oh, else you want us to know before we say goodbye here? 
I feel like we covered a lot. We sure we did. Covered a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we took notes of this. I hope no teachers were driving while right. listening to this awesome episode. <laughs> well, thank you for helping us reach our English learners in our classrooms. You guys are doing an excellent job. For all of you out there stretching and <laughs> doing your academic calisthenics to extend your reach to this student population, know that we admire the sweat of your brow. Truly. Yeah. Uh, they say teachers are true rock stars. Think about it. You work to hold the attention of an oftentimes distracted crowd. You hear your name called out hundreds of times a day and your student fans freak out whenever they see you in public so even when they could be a tough crowd rock on out there because you're a great teacher this toast now needs to stretch her legs i'm ashley back next week with more classroom conversations bye for now Funding for Classroom Conversations is made possible through the School Climate Transformation Grant. 